I'm done with people, a bunch of people basically telling me when to wake up, when to sleep, which is going to become ironic for you know, later on, you know, because I ended up basically joining the army, you know, it's kind of laughable. Yeah. But I was sick and tired of that. And um, I just was looking for the next thing to do. Welcome to Ask the Pros, where I do my very best to unpack actionable, valuable insights and with the goal of helping you live your dream life. I sit down with top entrepreneurs, professionals, making a difference around the globe so they can tell their stories. In doing so, I aim to inspire and motivate other people that may be struggling or looking for a new spark around their personal life or career path. Welcome to Ask Pros, where we talk to professionals, entrepreneurs, and people making a difference around the globe. They come to the show, tell their story the best way they can, you know, and hopefully their story will motivate and inspire someone out there. I've got a friend here, you know, I've known him way back, man, from secondary school. You know, that's, that's, that's how long I've known this guy. But without saying much, you know, Kama, welcome to Ask the Pros. Thank you very much. You, you know, um, Kama, um, Ask the Pros, we bring people on the show, you know, guys like you that, that have been through certain things. You know, hopefully, you know, your story will motivate and inspire someone out there. Because, like, like you know, some people probably like, like probably stuck, you know, on making certain decisions in life, you know. And, and you, and I know you've, you know, you've been through quite a lot as well, you know, like, ex-military you know and you 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 went into computer you you know programming and all that you know so uh dimola how did you grow up you know where were you born you know how was dimola as a kid all right um i was actually born in the united states and i grew up in nigeria i'll say nigeria you know america was where i was conceived and born but nigeria was really where you know i consider home and um a lot of my experiences and a lot of um the not the the institutional knowledge that shaped me to become the person that i am today came from the environment that i grew up in in nigeria the people i interacted with um the elders that basically showed me the path as to what it takes to basically become a man. So that's Demolar in a nutshell. It's and that's really who I am. And um I'm always I'm always grounded grounded back to the roots of the experiences that um I that actually that I actually gained while I was around guys like you, Cassina and um you know and all the other guys that we grew up with. Yeah me, you know, Inwi and all those guys. Um every, you know, every one of them basically even even till today, um I, st- I still you know I still think about Taufik and all of those guys and um the you know and the fun times we had um because i really feel that those times um is those those times are were critical in my life because every one of those experiences basically was a building block kind of like a lego to build me to give me the foundation that i as a man ended up standing on to basically then propel me and it still propels me as i as i said earlier to today and um and I can, and I still believe those experiences is going to propel me into the future, and also allows me to lay the ground groundwork for the experiences that is going to propel my children into the future as well. Yeah, you're right, Demola. Our past definitely prepares our future. You know, and um, just to go back a bit, Demola, I know we were we were in school, secondary school together. You know, but after a while, you just you just kind of like disappeared. What what happened? 
you know, I mean, I was, you know, I was always that guy that um, was always, I never really liked dancing to the tune of the crowd. I'm the person that if everybody's basically running away from the fire, I tend to be curious as to why is everybody running away from the fire and then I run towards the fire. So, um, it was at the time when we, you know, when everybody basically was getting done with school, everybody basically were kind of thinking about the next thing. Hey, you know, we need to basically we want to go to the university. You know, it, our parents was basically um, trying to shape our future. Hey, you're going to become a doctor. Hey, you, you're going to become a lawyer. I didn't care at the time. I'm like, okay, I'm done with school. I'm done with people, a bunch of people basically telling me when to wake up, when to sleep. Which is going to become ironic for you know, later on, you know, because I ended up basically joining the army. You know, it's kind of laughable. Yeah. But I was sick and tired of that. And um, I just was looking for the next thing to do. And I, at the time, you know, I feel like I was bored with the Nigerian scene and culture. You know, I was, you know, the Nigerian party scene was kind of getting boring. And my parents basically were... Oh, my dad actually at the time was kind of scared because he, you know, knowing me back in, back, back in those days, I was one of those guys that basically people did not consider me having a future. Even my parents were very, very concerned about me at the time because my mom used to basically hear from my friends that, hey, you know, not going to go carry last. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that they just don't know. It's ironic that they were right. <laughs> but that it just didn't happen the way they they were envisioning it, you know. And my mom used to be scared of that. Like my dad actually used to be very scared that you know because he was a commissioner of police at the time, and he used to be concerned that I was going to be the one to ruin his name. You were considered the black sheep of the family then. <laughs> I was. I, I I would say you know everybody else considered me that, but I didn't consider myself that. I just considered myself as an adventurer. As you know, because I felt like society was painting me um, on a canvas that I didn't really fit in. You know, I see if I didn't know, you know, I see if I basically didn't know what was was right and wrong or I didn't really have any moral compass. So a lot of what I was doing because society basically has, you know, had a temp the Nigerian society specifically had a template that, hey, if you are partying at a young age, you, you know, you staying up out at night, you know, and all of the other stuff, you definitely will grow up to be a criminal. You know, it's the mentality, right? So I just got sick of that and I got sick of the old um, culture and I felt like the only way I can break myself out of that was to basically move to a different culture and basically have an, and kind of experience the world for myself. Because like I said, I'm, you know, being the kind of person that I am, I don't like to follow other people's paths and other people's templates. I'm not, I'm very, very independent. Um, you know, I'm more, you know, I'm, I'm a libertarian. You know, I believe, hey, you know, I get to basically determine my destiny and my own path. I can care less what society thinks about the path that I've actually, you know, carved out for myself. And that was just, that was the vein of me basically taking the opportunity at the time when it came up for me to basically come back to the U.S. And um, I, so it was actually kind of impromptu. Like you said, it was, I just disappeared. 
Um, he was like, uh, my dad brought it up because he was kind of concerned at the time, like, hey, because he was was you know he was like, hey, I'm at some point I might end up basically be the inspector of general police for Nigeria. Is this an opportunity for me to basically ship you out of the country? So if you want to do any kind of crazy stuff, it doesn't have to, it doesn't blurt my name, in the, you know, in Nigeria. So. Um, do you mind actually going back to the U.S. because, my, you know, luckily for me at the time, we had a relative that was actually that they could trust and trust me with that actually moved to Texas at the time. They didn't want to send me back to New York. You know, it, it, it was kind of like, you know, the scene in New York was kind of crazy at the time. You know, that was the days of Tupac, gangster rap and all those other stuff. Mm -hmm. Texas was more laid back. So that was how I came back to Texas. And my uncle was kind of strict. So they figured, okay, he's not going to let me basically run around, run in the streets and, you know, and keep thugging the way I was thugging back home. So your dad having to send you to America was a control measures for him, isn't it? It, it was. It was a selfish control measures for him. And he was still kind of joke about that once in a while. <laughs> Uh, that's that's good that's a good because I, I, re I remember then you know like you know you just kind of like disappeared everyone was like hey, where's where's Demola where's Demola where's Kamal but you know obviously we we all later found out that you know Kamal was, Kamal was in was in America so going back to America you know what what did your dad wanted, wanted you to do in America he you know typical Nigerian parents um, he wanted me to go to school he wanted me to get a degree um, he wanted me to get a job and wanted me to move back Eventually, at one point, he wanted me to move back to Nigeria. But initially, he was like, hey, you know, if you can just go to school, get a degree and just get in and, and, and don't don't basically um, soil or blurt the family name. <laughs> you know, I know at the time that was a lot for him to ask from his own perspective. Yep. You know, I'll be a very happy man. And, so and you, and, uh, and you, and you can't really blame your dad because he was so sort of like protecting you, boy. He was protecting the name as well exactly no no i don't blame him at all i mean we ended up basic i mean trust me you know over time things our relationship kind of changed and like i said you know we still kind of joke around and mess around you know kind of just you know kind of i've you know basically kind of have kicks about this sometimes when we talk about it yeah, yeah that's but cool. he yeah but he, he was he was like you said he was more he wanted to me he wanted me to be successful at his, as his eldest son it was his pride that i you know achieved somewhat of a success in life but knowing the way i was he was like hey i don't even care about you being successful i just want you to be normal <laughs> you know I, uh, I, I i just you know if you don't end up in prison I'll be a very happy man, you know. <laughs> now like, that was this barometer. Yeah, going back to going back to what you said earlier, because I I want the listeners, you know, whoever is listening to understand your statement when you when you said Nagon go carry last. Literally, what's the meaning of that? I know, but for, uh, basically, but for the they basically were they were basically saying that I was gonna become an arm rubber. I was gonna either you know, I was gonna that literally I was going to end up basically somewhat of a profession that's going to involve robbery and some kind of a larceny or some kind of a criminal element. Basically, I was going to be, end up becoming a criminal. Let's just kind of summarize it that way. Yeah, but, but it, so, it so happened that at the end of the day, you, you carried a gun, but carrying a gun was for, I did. was for a different purpose. You know, so now Dimola left Nigeria, went to America, you know, and what was next for Dimola in America? Um, it was, you know, I mean, I, my uncle at the time was very strict. 
Um, and he was, you know, he basically was still kind of trying to put a, put a leash on me. Um, and it was still trying to get me, so fit me into that Nigerian mode of, hey, you got to go to college and you, you, you got, you have to basically and look into becoming a doctor or an engineer and all those other stuff. And at the time, I didn't care one bit for any of that. I just wanted a party and experience in the United States. That's all I wanted, you know? <laughs> And, um, you know, and I was like, hey, you know, I, you know, you, you know, and I wanted, and I liked the gangsters, you know, the, the, the gangster life, you know, there was, that was not really, I, you know, I was in the woodland. So I was, I was, you know, it was more of an affluent neighborhood. So there was really little gangsters around me, but, and, you know, I, like I said, it was strict. So I didn't really get to go out to basically seek what was going on in Houston, you know, like in the, in Acres Homes and all the areas, what you consider the gangster neighborhoods of Houston, you know, they were about 45 minutes away from me and I didn't have a car at the time. So I ended up basically just hanging out in college, you know, out, you know, and that was my, that was my way of basically trying to basically figure out the lay of the land was a, you know, hang out in college, at least get him off my back by actually taking college courses and being a responsible young adult at the time. But at the same time, I wanted to basically still do my own thing. So in the process of that, um, I ended up basically hanging out, you know, running to some guys, making friends, um, and um, started basically understanding the uh, America, you know, even though I was born in the United States and I lived in the United States for a short while in my life, but I was a kid. You know, I didn't really experience America as an adult. You know, I, you know, as a teenager, I experienced, you know, I, I kind of had a reference for America, in, in, you know, compared to a lot of Nigerians when I was growing up and when we we're going to Akpata because of the fact that, you know, I was born here and I lived here as a kid, you know, lived here as a kid. And I understand the culture because I still have family back in the you know, United States. But at the same time, I was still Nigerian because my worldview was shaped by you know, sent, you know, by, you know, St. John's College, then later on, Abata Memorial. That, you know, so uh, the culture that I grew up in and the attitudes that I had was basically embellished by everyone that I actually hung around in that area. And also, you know, and I kind of had a double life, right? I was the goofy, crazy fool in school. And at night, then I transformed to the party, you know, want to hang out at the, you know, at the club scene in Victoria Island and um, want to be part of, you know, just because at the end of the day, at the time, my dad was one of the elites, so I knew, you know, so I still kind of had the inroads to the children of the elites as well. So I partied with them, and I kind of, and there was that separation of my life where I was a different Demos in school. It was the Demos that basically just showed up, not washing his clothes, don't care, and I was in school to basically, I didn't go to school to learn anything because at the time, you know, I didn't really feel like, you know, school and a lot of this educational structure in Nigeria basically cater to a guy like me. So I just went to school to basically be the class clown and just disrupt. <laughs> still that way. I'm still that disruptive guy. Well, going back to America, yeah, like going back to America, did you not fulfill your, your dad's wish of you going to school? Uh, eventually, yes. But it came, it didn't come the way, I'll say... And I'll get to that. So um, me basically going to school in a way gave me what I wanted because if I had not actually registered to go to college in 97 when I did, I wouldn't have actually ran into the recruiter that ended up basically getting me to enlist 
in the army. And I really feel that was the turning point in my life because that, that's what changed everything about me and, I, and actually allowed me to basically kind of get my act together and understand that I can actually have what I want and also give my dad what he wants as well. That, you know, we like, um, this is, it's not a, it could be mutually benefit. You know, it, my struggles with my parents at the time is not, it doesn't have to be a win lose proposition where if I end up basically molding myself to the person they want me to be, then that means I lose myself, you know, I, <laughs> or if I basically mold myself into, to that, you know, if I actually take charge of my life and become that person I thought I wanted to be at the time, then they lose. It can be a win-win proposition in the sense that I can still be that disruptive, loudmouth clown and also be a responsible human being at the same time. And it was the military that taught me that. Okay. It was me joining the army that actually allowed me to see that, hey, you know, rules aren't bad if it makes sense. And if you understand why, you basically have to follow the rules. You know, like I said, I hated the fact that someone has to tell me when to wake up, when to sleep and all that other stuff. And I ended up basically joining the army. And, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, 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 it, that's really what it's all about, you know. It's but at the same time, people have this misconception that, hey, you know, the army basically is people telling you what to do. No, it's about taking initiative. It's about honoring the traditions of those that have actually come before you because it's honoring the institution. So, and when I understood exactly what it, you know, what basically being disciplined and confirmation is, you know, conforming to the rule or what we call conformity. Then I understand, okay, hey, it's not about someone just telling me to, to do this and do that for no reason. It's about honor. It's about, okay, there is a tradition that has been around for the last 400 years. And there are a group of people that has actually kind of institutionalized this tradition. And I just have to honor the fact that they were born before me and they have to basically figure all of this stuff out. And we are just following that tradition. And everybody that basically comes into the institution basically honors the tradition, but also leaves a piece of themselves with that tradition as well. You know, so it's a, it's a living organism. Yeah, Devola, yeah. So take us on a journey, you know, while you were in the army. So you, 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 a couple of minutes ago, you, you mentioned that, you know, you were listed in the, in the army, you know. How did they welcome that news that, that Demola is not listed uh, in the army? My dad was kind of happy about it. Um, he basically was like, hey, you know, maybe that's because it, it personally, if he had actually been paying attention, in my opinion, he would have known that that was my path. That was going to be my path in life. If I had not, if I had not, if I had actually not come to the U.S., I was actually at the time, I was actually in the process of en enrolling in NDA, Nigerian Defense Academy. So I was actually going to end up in the Nigerian Army anyway. Okay. So, um, but me coming into the, me basically coming to the U.S., obviously, um, kind of killed that plan. But I was, but I was in the process of actually getting the application and all of that stuff in the, you know, at the time. So it kind of just made sense to him that, hey, it looks like that's the path that, that it just makes sense that, okay, it looks like that's where, in his own perspective, God wanted you and that's who God has made you to be. And I kind of understood that later on as well, that, you know, there, there are some people, there are some people that God has actually made to be protectors and to be warriors. And that's who I am. I'm a warrior. I'm part of the warrior class. So anybody that is actually part of that warrior class cannot be normal human beings. I mean, it's just the reality. You know, someone who doesn't have a problem basically ducking bullets can be normal. Yeah, you're right. I was military 
take us on a journey where, where you had the training and and what what were you specializing in the military? All right, so um, my military journey actually was was kind of interesting as well. Um, I was supposed to go in. Um, I wanted to go in to basically kind of learn, you know, um, petroleum engineering because at the time I wanted I wanted to become a chemical engineer. I I ended up basically not going that path because I found that I actually hated chemicals later on. But when I was actually going in, they were like, okay, you can become a petroleum engineer. That's the closest we have to chemical engineer. And eventually if you decide, hey, you know, you want to basically go to school, you want to go to college and get your degree and you want to become an officer, then you can actually maybe be part of the chemical core. You know, chem- I was like, okay, that's a good branch. They, at the same time, the um, recruiter basically told me that, hey, there's a $20,000 college fund that is available to you, but the military basically right now needs artillerymen. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what's that? He said, oh, those are the guys that are actually going to be fighting wars. Like, okay. Wow. Do I get sure that? He's like, yeah. Um, you know, you're going to, but the difference is you are going to be infantry, but you're also going to have a big gun. You know, that, so he showed me and I saw the guys in tanks with the big machine guns on the tank. And he said, yeah, that's the um, artillery. That's artillery. So I'm like, okay, um, at least, you know, I'm, I'm protecting my tank. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's, but I didn't, that was a total misconception of what artillery is, by the way. I found out the odd way that it doesn't really work that way. And I ended up basically being part of the artillery, uh, what you call a tow artillery that they actually flow out of airplanes and you have to jump out of the airplanes with it. <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I was like, okay, yeah, sure. So I signed up. I got the $20,000 to sign up. I said, artillery man. I went to basic training and my permanent, you know, my duty station, my first duty station basically ended up being what you call a tow unit, which is not a tank. <laughs> it's actually, <laughs> but eventually, yeah, but some, you know, but that's, you know, it's like, it, but it was it was but uh, um I didn't I didn't end up going to airborne school um but I would have I would would have loved to go um because of my job at the time didn't require that we basically jump out of airplanes okay but my mili- but my military journey was based off of the fact that for some reason the military basically saw that there was I had this natural talent to basically research and to investigate. Okay. And in the process, I had a lot of good NCOs that basically took me under, you know, under their wings and started basically telling me that, hey, you know, you are a very smart guy. You need to go to college. You need to basically get an education. You need to become an officer. And you need to basically now move into the intellectual wing of the military, that the military basically has the guys that kick the doors down. And those are the guys at the totem pole, like the artillery guys are basically that it's actually that I actually had a very high GT score. They, they, they tested me differently. And they had a different way of actually, you know, kind of harvesting talent in the military. So that was when, that was, I would say that was the beginning of a, a change in perspective for me was when I actually, when the military started to send me to different schools and exposing me to different um, line of thinking about, you know, rules, regulations, traditions, and all of that stuff. And um, eventually I ended up basically in the, what you call the intellectual wing of the military. Uh, which basically at the time I was like, I finally got what I wanted. I'm not going to get shot at. Then I found out that no, 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 it doesn't work that way. <laughs> uh, by the way, um, 
do you know? Yeah, this, then we had a briefing from the CIA. Actually, they came to brief my unit at the time, and they were like, "This was the initial part of the Iraq War." And they were like, hey, uh, why is it that we were the first ones to actually know that we we're going to war? And, you know, that was a rhetorical question. And the CIA guy basically said the very reason why the Chinese and the Iraqis and all of those guys are right now basically having contract on everybody's rooms, in everybody's room's head. And basically, there's someone out there right now trying to kill you. That personal, you know, that, that, you know, at the time it was a good thing that we don't even, there was no Facebook, there was no, um, you know, there, yeah, I guess there Facebook was no, started. There was, there was no social but media. There was no social media. There was no social media. Yeah, there was no social media at that time. It was kind of still, you know, organic, but, you know, it was still 2002, right after the Iraq war. So, um, that was that kind of exposed me to a different world of you know how intelligence actually worked you know how that you know how uh, the, you know how people basically uh, and it actually opened me to the understanding of war you know not that war really is not about you know guys basically shooting each other with guns that there are other aspects of war that we really don't understand that goes on on a daily basis and um just a different experience and you know different experience different worldview and um i grew out of that um and to kind of give you an understanding of what my job was at the time and that's that was the job that i actually ended up holding for the next four years till i actually got out in 2005 was basically it was special operations but on the defensive aspect of it we were your typical jsoc special forces guy that you guys are used to are what you call the offensive operators. Um, they got, those are the guys that go out on kick those down. My, we were the other side of them. We basically were more on the educational intelligence and the defensive in the sense that we basically use the same tactics, but we use it from a defensive posture. Okay. So, um, I, so yeah, so at that, I actually, so my main job was basically starting the out of war on how to basically infiltration tactics, um, training, um, basically studying and researching on the act of, um, you know, sabotage and all kinds of stuff. Basically, um, I was, you know, to kind of, I was basically studying and researching on a daily basis on how to kill people. It was just that simple. Being in the military, like, was, was, was it fun for you? Like, in terms of waking up in the morning, you, you, ha you have your activities to do, you know, then you probably talk to a few friends. I don't, I don't know how, how it was there, you know, but painting the picture. picture it was the us, best, you know? it was the best time of my life. You know, think about it. It was like you, you are part of a family. Um, I, and the people I served with are still my best friends still today. Um, it's, it's a is a camaraderie that normal people, regular civilians can never understand, especially if you've ever, especially if you deploy with those people. I mean, because literally those people basically, you know, look, they are, they have, they actually have the potential of dying for you. In, and this is not. Work, this is not, you know, lip service. You know, this is real stuff. You know, you've actually seen these guys in action in, you know, in combat where they actually take actions where you basically look like, wow, you know, if he had not laid down or risked his life in that moment, you wouldn't even be here to actually have this conversation right now. 
Wow. So it's, yeah. And so it's, you know, and it's fun. I mean, being in the military is really, really fun. I mean, especially in the U.S. military. I mean, you get to travel to different places. You get exposed to different people all over the world. Um, You know, depending on your job, obviously. I mean, my job in the military at the time, a lot of things. You know, a lot of um, different people, different cultures, different line of thinking, attitudes. I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, you know, it also allows you to um, understand how to interact with people, you know, and it gives you a perspective of the human race in a way that you can never understand. Unless, you know, and, you know, and also the aspect of war, you know, that kind of opens you up to other stuff, you know, other inner psyche of the human race as well. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't said that, Dimala. I haven't said that. Um now I'm going to the area of mental health, you know. I, I know, you know, being in the military, you, you probably witness a lot of shooting and killing, you know. How do you improve your mental health in that kind of environment? You know, were, were they, um, for example, were they like specialists, you know, psychologists that come to talk to you guys that, you know, about the sort of things you see on a daily basis? How did you maintain your mental health throughout the army while you were there? The one thing about the U.S. military, U.S. Army, actually, is that they provide a lot of help. It's something that, during, back in my time, mental health was a kind of like a taboo subject because you were seen as weak if you even brought it up. So um, it's actually a lot better now. You know, PTSD is actually something that is no longer is not as stigmatized as it was back in my day. So, but during my time, you know, I would say mental health was, you know, was not really addressed the way it should have. Um, especially everyone that basically participated in um, Operation Enduring Freedom, which is the war in Afghanistan, and OIF-1, which is the first leg of the Iraq war, which is the old toppling of Saddam and all that stuff. A lot of the veterans of that theater basically came back with a lot of scars that weren't treated. And a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of suicides as a, as a result of it, um, you know, and um, a lot of people right now are basically homeless because they don't really know how to integrate back into society. I, you know, I mean, like, you know, I was more in on the intellectual side of the military, so it was different for me because I had, you know, I mean, my boss was a major. You know, I was working with lieutenants and captains, even though I was enlisted at the time. And, um, you know, and also... So my, I had a different experience in the sense that I was lucky that I was around people that basically helped me um, and guided me through the process of actually, hey, you know, if you need any help, go see a, you know, a behavioral specialist, let him know what's going on, you know, and basic and destigmatized mental health for me to where I didn't have a problem basically going and talking to the right people if I needed to. So that really helped me out a lot. And, you know, and also at the time, you know, obviously you hear about war, you get religion real quick. So, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so I got religion, you know, I got religion, I, you know, going to church, being around people of God really helped me as well to, you know, and actually really grounded me and, and helped me see things in the right perspective. Because the reason why a lot of people basically kind of lose themselves is because they never really kind of, they didn't really know how to compartmentalize, you know, the human condition. Because war lets you see the potential of, of human evil in its raw form. And if you've been living in this world where they tell you that evil doesn't really exist, and you're now seeing it face to face, you lose yourself. Because you're like, wow, you know, what do I call this? 
you know, I'm seeing evil manifest in the flesh. How do I basically deal with it? And a lot of guys just don't know how to deal with it. They and they they just lose themselves, or they just decide to take the easy way out, you know, and the bullet to the head kill themselves. Jeez, 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 jeez. Did you ever know someone that killed him or herself? Yes. And he was a very great guy. I mean, very good guy. But he ended up basically just losing himself and ended up basically couldn't deal with it anymore and ended it all. That was very sad to hear, Demola, man. Sorry for that, you know. But I guess I guess the whole thing is that everybody was doing their job, wasn't it? it, it at the end of the day, it, it, it was just a job, isn't it? It is. At the end, it, is, it is. And that's really what it boils down to is it's just a job. But yes, it's a lot more complicated than that. Than that, and you have to basically, like I said, you have to be built to be part of the warrior class. It's not for everybody. I believe God has des- designated a certain percent of the human population to be warriors, to be the defenders, the, the defenders of the wolves within us. Because you always have the, pe- you know, there's always going to be evil in the world, and there's always going to be people who allow themselves to be used for evil purposes. And there's all, and and you also, and but. God, as a result, God has raised a certain percentage of the population that are going to be way off the spectrum, that are going to be responsible for basically, you know, preventing everybody else by putting their life and their bodies on the line to prevent that evil. So it is, you know, so it, it's, it, it, it is what it is. It's the nature of the human, of the human condition uh, is what I'll say. That, that must have been some, some, some experience for you, you know. So, um, so Dimula, what at, the, at what stage did you did you tell yourself, uh, do you know what this is it for me now? You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm done here. Why why did you why did you leave the army? You know, and what what actually you know made made you make that decision? You know, to say do you know what I've done X amount of years now. It's time for me to go. They say. Um, I'll say it, it was kind of, it, I didn't I wasn't planning to leave. It, it kind of was um coincidental. I'll, I'll, you know, it will be the term I'll use. So I basically decided to go to back to college. And my goal was to basically go to college and get my degree and become an officer. And eventually maybe go to ranger school and actually become a special forces operator. Um, basically at this time being the, being, you know, basically being one of the offensive guys. Uh, rangers are basically what you call the military assassins. So that was my objective. Like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and actually I had this plan, you know, Hopefully, and I probably maybe if all works well and I survive, I'll basically retire as lieutenant colonel and go do something else in my life because by then I'll be in my 40s. That was my plan. But um, in the process, I as I was in school, I decided to take a computer class. Like, you know, someone was just basically telling me, hey, you, you have this natural talent to investigate and to research and all of the other stuff. Why don't you try, you know, computers? I think you'll be a good fit for it. So I started basically taking computer classes. And in the process, I decided to take an introduction to C++ class. Um, this was back in 2001. And um, I fell in love with it. I felt like, you know, and I felt like I was Keanu Reeves. Like I'm the, ma- you know, like I was like, I just basically discovered that I'm the Matrix, you know. <laughs> You're the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, just so I was like, OK, this is what I really wanted to do. You know, and I felt like this is what, you know, it's kind of like it felt like a calling, basically. Like I found my passion. And um, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to basically go get a computer science degree and try to basically maybe now join the, uh, at the time, the military cyber warfare was still, you know, still sketchy. It's not as um, 
you know, effect, it's not as grounded and elaborate as it is today. So, but the, the Navy was the one that actually, the Navy was the only one that actually had a good, uh, you know, kind of had an organized um, cyber warfare uh, branch. So I was going to basically now, I was, my plan was to basically go ahead and actually switch to the United States Navy and basically become a combat hacker. You know, <laughs> we basically hacking the Chinese all day. That didn't work out. Because the Iraq war basically broke out. My unit stop lost me. The, the army wouldn't let me go. And um, eventually, I was so into the computer world at the time. I was basically part. I was still, I was a soldier at the same time. I was a computer guy because I was taking contracts, basically writing software for different companies. Okay. And I actually ended up starting a side business, basically writing software for different people. You know, and I, so I was basically making all this money, basically writing software and my military paycheck was like wow you know even though i enjoyed the military i really enjoyed the what one thing that actually that i thrived on was the fact that i'm the guy that basically i, I wasn't worried about i wasn't you know what scared me at the time was okay at some point i'm gonna have to basically face the you know face the fact that i'm gonna have to basically take another person's life but i thrived on the fact that i know there's somebody out there trying to kill me and i have to basically watch out for that person so you know and that was one thing i loved about the military basically knowing that hey there's someone out there trying to kill me <laughs> and i enjoyed that <laughs> so so what what rank what, what rank did you, did you get up to in the military um basically i was basically um what you, in a, what in nigeria in i kind of give it a nigerian um effect i was more like a i was equivalent to a, maybe a staff sergeant in the you know because the military rank structure is different in in the us but it was more equivalent to a staff sergeant that i actually got out um i was actually going to be but i was going to basically cross over to become a lieutenant right at the time but i decided to basically not pursue um my commission to become a lieutenant so and i just decided to basically become a civilian what made you um make that decision to become a civilian like i said it was 2005 um i you know my you know, at the time i was married and i had a daughter she was two years old and um i felt like you know i was already i already found this passion in computers and um you know being a software engineer basically uh, you know was something that i found fulfilling and um, I really just didn't see the need for me to put my life at risk. And, um, you know, I felt like I've had, you know, like God has actually pre preserved me to this point. You know, what's the purpose of actually, I didn't really see the need of me putting my kid, my family in a position where I'm not going to actually see, you know, grow up to basically see my, you know, like I'm not going to see my daughter grow up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, so that was that was really it was, you know, I feel like, you know, my time was up. Like, um, it was time for me that God has given me this new passion and I am obligated to basically pursuing it. If I didn't pursue it, you know, it would then what it would be a waste. And I've already seen, I already know what, I already know what's going to happen in the military. I already know, okay, the next thing was going to, and at the time I had no choice but to leave the, the military Sorry, the the army for the for the navy anyway to basically pursue what I'm now passionate about, which is cyber warfare. But like I said, it wasn't really organized at the time. There was a lot of stuff going on, and the military, the army wouldn't release me because the army wanted me to become an army officer, not a navy officer. They the army didn't want to let me go. So I eventually, the only way was to basically just say, you know what, I'm going to quit. I'm going to now go into the civilian sector and. Um, 
pursue my um, dreams um, in software engineering there. And that's what I did. In January 24, 2005, I took up their uniform. Okay, cool. So, um, living in the military, uh, you know, Dimala living in the military, now transitioning into a software guy. So, what was what was next for Dimola? How, how did you how did you fit into that environment? I was already a software guy when I was in the military. Remember, I was already basically working on projects. Um, I was already working on contracts. Um, I already had a part-time job as a software engineer or short-term contracts. Um, my last, you know, in 2004, actually, um, I didn't really even... I, I, because towards your, once you start transitioning in the military, the last six months, you really don't need, if you have enough leave, you can actually leave what you call a terminal leave where you actually, you're still in military, but you don't have to show up to work. Um, so they'll let you basically just write, you know, they'll still send you a check every month. Um, you still respond, you still have to report to a chain of command, but you are basically a civilian and you can go get a job out of, you know, anyone in the civilian world and do what you need to do. You do a regular nine to five. So I was actually working um, a nine to five job anyway, before I ended up getting out completely. And also, because I was actually in the reserves at the time. Okay. And um, also, I also, before, prior to that, like I said, I was already working, you know, on the side. And um, so I was already plugged into the software world. I already had about three years experience of writing software by when I got out. And I actually had a resume of actually working. When I got out, so it was kind of it used to be weird when um, I used to go for interviews. They're like, "Okay, you were in the army and you're working on this at the same time." Like, yeah. Then I have to explain it to them. You know that you know, like, yeah, I was, you know, I I was kind of doing both at the time. So um, I ended up basically um, getting out. Um, the next month, I moved from Texas to Seattle. Um, I ended up basically work, you know, I had an opportunity to go work for Microsoft. Um, I, so I got into Microsoft at the time, ended up, um, and started working with the Windows XP Media Center Edition team at the time. Um, we were actually, our team was the first, um, team to actually build the first Hulu. Um, the Media Center Edition basically was television, um, on your computer at the time. I don't know if you remember those clunky things, but it's, you know, it's what Ulu does now and um, Sling and all those or Roku. Um, and I moved from that team to the um, the PMO team where I was basically, I was um, the lead, um, I ended up basically being the lead engineer um, for the PMO team, helping um, them basically write software to basically manage Microsoft projects. Um, I was there for a short period of time before I also now moved to the Microsoft um, activation platforms. Um, I ended up basically being the core engineer for that. Um, basically, the, that was the um, technology. Whenever you you buy Microsoft software, you have to put in your product key. Okay. Uh, yeah, all of the big engine in the sky that basically is responsible for making sure that you that that key is legitimate and activates it was my responsibility i was you know and at the time if i actually messed up because i we were my team basically built the first generation of that platform and it, it we're always breaking it there was a time that we actually broke um i actually messed up and we broke it one morning and about five million people couldn't use their computer all around the world and bill gates actually, actually called my boss to chew him out and he turned around and chewed me out <laughs> how, how did you solve all that problem then <laughs> 
Uh, it was, you know, I mean, it is what it is. Stuff breaks, you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I just had it. I just had my boss basically screaming at me because, you know, Bill Gates just. I mean, I think it was Bill Gates or Steve Ballmer. I can't remember. But one of those guys, you know, the one of the richest people in the world, just called him and screamed at him because of my mess up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so Demola, out of the military, going to Microsoft. After Microsoft, what was next for Demola? You know, after Microsoft, um, Bill Gates was leaving. There was a lot of political stuff going on at Microsoft at the time. So I decided to leave and become a consultant. So my first consulting gig at the time, basically after that, was um, for T-Mobile. Um, T-Mobile United States, not the actual T-Mobile Europe. Europe, UK. Yeah. So um, we, you know, so I actually built a technology for them that allowed them to basically render uh, um, communication content um, a lot faster than the commercial tool that there was that was actually out there at the time. Um, so they, and um, I after leaving that um, project, um, I actually moved over to work for um, to actually work as part of a startup um, company at the time called Enterprise Mobile. Enterprise Mobile at the time I, uh, was basically was funded by Microsoft as well and some other um, investors to build the first um, Windows mobile device platform um, the management platform. Um, basically, it's kind of like the server that manages all your smartphones at the time. Because back in 2007, um, there was really, you know, this was before the iPhone. The, you know, all of the smartphones were running on Windows. Mm-hmm. And um, the other competitor was BlackBerry. So BlackBerry, basically, which was basically owned by RIM, had the Symbian operating system, which basically kind of serves as the server for all of those phones. So it was easy for the enterprise to basically manage their phones just like it's a computer on the network. So that was why a lot of companies at the time, back in the early 2000s up to um, mid-2000s, basically a lot of the enterprise basically were issuing our Blackberries. So Microsoft, there was no, Microsoft wanted to compete and they had a project going and it failed. And they decided to fund us, fund our startup at the time. I was working for the startup. I didn't own any stake, uh, which was a mistake, um, to get the project going. So we built the first one in the world, and um, we built the we built the Windows equivalent of the Symbian operating system, which is like the operating system for the, the for the device uh, Windows smartphones at the time, so that it can easily manage it. And that product ended up basically being absorbed into the Microsoft ecosystem. And it ended up basically becoming the, I think, is the Microsoft Windows uh, device platform. Um, or, oh no, Microsoft Windows Device Center. Um, it's actually, I think it's still around. Um, but it basically was a big tool for the enterprise from 2009 all the way to 2014 that, I, you know, I, I think it's been retired now. Um, I, after leaving that, you know, opportunity, I kind of felt like, you know, it was time for me to basically kind of stop my own company because of the experiences that I've kind of had through those period from 2002 all the way to 2008 at this point. Yeah. Um, because. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, you mentioned something about making a mistake and having a stake at the, as at that time, you know. On, on the on the, the startup company just a minute ago you said something about having regrets about not having a stake yeah because it so they were just basically pay me by the hour but 
if you think about it, the, the, the stock of the company, because, you know, actually was worth a lot more. If I'd actually decided, you know what, I was going to work for free and basically pay me in stocks, the value of that stock would have been in, in, the, in the millions by now, you know, by 2010, 2011, eventually when Microsoft actually decided basically onboard their product onto their ecosystem. You know, it will have actually converted my all of my stocks will have actually converted to Microsoft stocks. And right now I'll be looking at it maybe like twenty million dollars in Microsoft stocks. Lessons late, lessons late. So you you now had your own startup with a with a partner, right? Yes. So I went into business with uh, a partner of mine at the time. We called it Taylor Technology Solutions. Um, we wanted to basically uh, bring enterprise level technology solutions to small to medium sized businesses. So um, we started in February 2008, um, and if you are, you know, if you remember, the entire stock market and the whole world economy crashed in October. Yes. <laughs> of 2008. Yes. So uh, we started um, basically, and which was the greatest thing for us, in my opinion, because it really allowed us to innovate, and um, so we we basically were focused on medium, small to medium-sized business at the time because of my experience dealing with them when I actually started um, doing side contracts. I noticed that a lot of my enterprise clients and my small business clients basically had the same need. Just It was just the scale of it that was different. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, but the, the problem was a lot of the enterprise guys understood technology and how, and they really understood the value of technology, but the small business never really did because to them, when you propose a technology solution to their problem, they automatically think they can't afford it. So we basically set out to solve that problem and we wanted to basically build out um, a software as a service solution, basically what you call cloud computing now. It wasn't really, you know, it was still in its infancy at the time. so we out in my experience working at Microsoft, being part of the cloud computing revolution at the time, a lot of the um, cloud computing concept that we now know on a daily basis right now was still stuff that we were trying to figure out back then. So what? So that was the whole concept of Taylor Technology Solutions was um, cloud. You know, basically solving using the cloud at what we call the cloud today to solve small business problems. Um, we. I ran I ran Taylor Technology with my partner until 2010. I ended up buying him out um, and um, changed the name of the company to ICIT Solutions. Why did you decide to buy him out? There's one experience that I learned um, was that just because you're good friends with people doesn't mean you guys are automatically going to be good business partners. Um, you're always going to have different difference in opinion your views and your perspectives are always going to be different and over time it's going to create a divide and that divide basically is going to end up basically causing a big friction and it just it just got to the point where we grew apart we started out with with one goal and one objective and eventually we had you know two separate objectives and two separate goals and um one thing that the military taught me too is two chefs can be in the kitchen at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. It's just not going to work. <laughs> so, and we just, we just agreed. And he was a, he was a veteran himself. So he understood we're both military guys. And he just basically understood that, Hey, you know, one of us has to basically be the chief. We both can be chiefs. 
And um, we we amicably agreed to basically separate and I bought all the shares. Okay, so you did that, you know. So what was, what was next after that? Basically, just reorganization and you know we've been running i said solutions um we started out in seattle um then moved into different cities in the united states um we, atlanta houston um louisiana new orleans um we, the the atlanta the atlanta's office the atlanta office is now closed and um we eventually basically moved into nigeria in 2018 um with the help of um you know i have to shout out to um Lade Oduyemi, um, you know, you know, we went, we all went to school together. He was very instrumental in actually helping us actually um, make some real good acquisitions in Nigeria, and we've been doing that ever since. Let me let, let the listeners be, be be clear, you know. So what what do, what do does your new company really do? ICIT basically is a Microsoft partner. Our objective is process automation. We take business processes, we analyze them, trying to understand how you do business as a small business owner or mid-sized business owner. And we try to figure out how can we use computers to basically streamline and automate those processes for you. If you, if you know, every business basically has its own unique way of doing things, right? You are, and some are documented and some are not. So the first thing we try to do is we try to understand how do you do business? How do you make money? So from the point where you basically put out advertisements for your widgets till the point where someone actually pays you for that widget and you deliver that widget, Give us the, you know, the the roadmap, the you know, the play-to-play, step-by-step activities that you engage in. Once you understand that, uh, we try to understand the human elements. We try to understand the tools that you're going to need to be able to actually cap digitize all of these processes. And we figure out, okay, how do we automate this and try to basically find computer tools or workflows that is actually going to mimic all of the human elements and human activities as much as possible. So that human, you know, so that you can actually do more with less. Being being in this environment now, Demola, what motivates Demola? You know, because you you've 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 seen the military, you worked on Microsoft, now you have your own thing. You know, while doing your own thing, you know, what drives you? You know, what gives you that motivation to, to carry on? Because I know doing your own, having your own thing is, is hard because you, you need to put twice as much effort into it. You know, so in doing all this, you know, what what, what was the greatest motivation you would say? I personally feel like not everybody is built to do their own thing. Um, I've always been doing my own thing. So it's kind of natural for me. I've always, like I said, I grew up, you know, you know, I grew up as the guy that basically does his own thing. So, you know, so it's more of part, I won't say I didn't really, I don't really need any motivation. It's more of it's who I am. But my experience, though. Having to basically been in a, you know been in business for myself for the last twelve years and I've you know and interacting with different business owners is you have to basically know your you have to kind of understand yourself and know who you are. There's nothing wrong in being an employee and working for some pe- for people. I actually believe in my world that the smartest people in the world are people that basically show up at nine and leave at five Wait, because because. Because as a business owner, the cost, it's all the business is always your problem. You there's no you can't decide to basically just turn everything off at five o'clock and go home and make it another person's problem. It's, it's not it doesn't work that way. And you are find, ultimately responsible for other people's mortgage, other people's um, kids, um, 
college funds, if you know, you're responsible for your community because obviously there are people in the, the community that looks to you to be a leader. Uh, there's just so many things that you did not sign up for as a business owner that you're going to end up inheriting that people, I don't really think people consider when they decide to go to business for themselves. They just see this glamorous side of it as, hey, um, you, know, I'm, I, you know, I'm my own boss. There's no such things. You know, that's actually the biggest lie is ah, I'm my own boss. No, you're not your own boss. Your customers are your bosses. Now you just, okay, before you only have to report to one boss. Now if you have to report to all of your customers. So let's say you have 40 customers. Now you automatically go from one boss to 40 bosses as your, you know, as a business owner. Well, like, I, I understand. But, and, and, it's, and it's also a huge task as well. It is. But, it, it, no, I, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, I'm actually saying, the reason why I'm setting this up is it's challenging. But you need to basically understand the challenges before you get into it. Because it's very, the challenges is what makes it rewarding. You know, I mean, it's, and I'll go back to, you know, one thing that I tried that, that got me, that I really, really thrived in, you know, that got me thriving when I was thriving when I was in the military was the idea that, okay, I know somebody's out there trying to kill me. And as a result, I have to basically make sure that I, you know, I do, you know, I basically learn all of the defensive tactics that the military has taught me to stay alive. And that was the challenge, right? And that's what got me going was the fact that, hey, I can't, you know, the, you know, I, I didn't cower to the fact that, hey, you know, there's someone trying to kill me, so I'm going to not basically run, you know. It gave me the end, it gave me the motivation that I need to be better, to be a better soldier. Yes. The same thing yeah, applies. Yes, sometimes you have to face your fears, you know. Exactly. So if you are actually, if you want to get into business, the challenges of being a business owner should be the reason why you want to basically be successful. Is the reason why you want to get in the game. And you want to get in the game to win. You want to be the best boss you can be. You want to be the best community leader you can be. You want to be the best um, role model you can be. You want to be the best employer you can be. But you know that, hey, you know, life, is, but there's challenges to you to you get into that point, to being that person. And you have to basically be willing to do what it takes to overcome those challenges. But it doesn't come, it, it comes at a cost, but you have to be willing to pay the price. I guess the point is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, yeah, Demo, absolutely. So having said all this, Demola, you know, and someone, someone come to you and say, I like the way you've built your company. You know, I'm really impressed and inspired by what you've done. You know, what would you say to that person? In the form of an, an advice, you know, for him or her? Um, like I said, it's going to be the first thing I'm going to say is, you know, hey, there's nothing wrong with you being an employee, but you have to basically make sure that you want to be a business owner. And if you want to be a business owner, the first thing you need to really understand is every single action you take has consequences. And you have to basically do a risk assessment of every single action you plan to take. So, you know, if you don't plan, you then if you don't, you know, if you don't plan, then you're planning to fail. You know, basically, if you don't, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. <laughs> you know, it's just a reality. So come up with a plan. So that's the first thing. And re be realistic with that plan. Don't just paint a plan that gives you all of the rosy scenarios. And, uh, you know, be, be objective and list out all your risks. And try to figure out how you can mitigate that risk. 
And at the end of the day, if you basically can post that plan on a wall and you can look at it in the eye and basically you look at that plan, that plan is looking right back at you and you don't and you feel confident that you can actually take on that plan and defeat it, then go for it. You can't build your business off of other people's model. Oh, man, I like what someone is doing. I like to basically I mean, yes, I can be an inspiration for you. Other people. Can, I have a lot of people that are basically inspirations for me. Mike Zuckerberg is one of them. Um, you know, Bill Gates is one of them. I mean, a lot of a lot of the things that I've I'd actually implement from a technology perspective today was stuff that I learned while I was working at Microsoft based on a lot of Bill Gates initiatives. So you can always take, but at the end of the day, you need to own it. You need to basically take all of those ideas and a lot of those inspirations and actually make it your own. It has to be part of your plan. It can't be theirs anymore. It has to be yours, and you have to be willing to take responsibility for it and own it and take charge of it. So, in, in other words, you know, whilst you're doing your 9 to 5, you know, there's a lot of things for you to learn, you know, whilst, yes. whilst you're doing your 9 to 5. So, if you eventually decide to come out and do your own thing, those key things you've learned while you're doing your 9 to 5 will come to play, right? It definitely will. I mean, you, you, I don't believe in the idea. A good, a good leader... As once upon in this time, being a good follower, you cannot, you know, I mean, to use a biblical reference, I believe the reason why Joshua was a successful leader was because he was a successful follower to Moses. It's, you know, that, and so all of your time as, you know, an employee will shape you as a business owner. If you are a lousy employee, you're going to be a lousy business owner. You're going to be, you're going to be a failure. It's just a reality. If you feel like you don't need to follow instructions and you're the smart, if you always have this attitude as I'm the smartest guy in the room, I don't need to listen to nobody, so I need to go start my own business. I'm going to start the clock in about two years, you're going to fail because you are not open to learning. Because one thing that makes a successful business owner, and one thing that I learned, you know, from my mentors is they were great learners. And I've always, and that's till today, I'm always learning. I'm always trying to figure out a way to get back in school or learn. And, and, I, and I can learn from anybody. You know, I don't look down on people. You know, I mean, there's been times where I'll get down to the level of, you know, the, the lowest employee straight out of college that we just hired. And I want to learn something from him. I want to learn, okay, hey, you know, I'm kind of an old head with this technology now. I'm in my 40s. You're still 24. What's going on out there? You know, you know, what's the word on the street now? You know, and um, and I'm learning. I'm learning from my daughter. You know, she's six, she's 17 now. You know, she's, you know, my son was teaching me how to hype one, you know, the, the new hype then. You know, like, <laughs> it, it was like, you know, you, you, you always have to be, that, that's, that's who you need to be. You need to have a sense of curiosity. You need to have a sense of research. You need to be a learner. You have to be humble to be a successful business owner. You can't just you can't just say um, you can't just say, "Hey, you know, I want to go do my own thing and just jump out there." So start learning with your nine to five now. Start learning with you know within the environment that you are in. Whatever you want to basically engage, whatever type of business you want to engage in, start doing the research now and and. The research you do now doesn't mean that you're gonna it's gonna stop. It's just basically it's now teaching you to be a good researcher because you're always going to constantly research because research is what breeds innovation. Yeah, you're right, Demola. Absolutely. And to add to what you've said, you know, you also have to be a good listener as well. You know, and exactly and you have to be able to communicate. You know, and as, and as well have that emotional intelligence because you you need to be able yeah. to read people as well. You know, know know how oh, they totally. feel. You know, and know. No, you know, is this the right time to approach this person? Is you know how how yeah. am I gonna you know because you because 
to, to be honest, I'm, I'm in a nine-to-five environment, right? You know, and um, my job also involves me going to meet, you know, top managers and, you know, site foremen for information that I need to drive the program. Now, I need to read that person by saying, by, you know, maybe asking a simple question. Oh, Mr. X, you know, how was your day? You know, how was your weekend? How's the family? So the response, yeah, would, would definitely tell me, you know, ask for this now or ask later. You, you, you understand? Yeah. I, you're right. Because, I mean, that's the, like you said, you have to have, you know, it's emotional intelligence is key in owning, you know, in owning or running a business. You have to understand your employees and you have to understand your customers. And, you know, and that's why marketing is critical, right? It's all about emotional, you know, it's all about emotional communication, you know. And one thing is that I've, I've always been told and what drives our company is without, you know, no sales, no marketing, no sales, no business. And those two are critical. You have to have a marketing. You have to have mar- you have to have a marketing process in place. And a lot of your marketing process, basically, what is communicate and is trying to basically talk or reach, uh, you know, reach into a person's heart to really, really try to draw them and make a compelling argument as to why your solution will solve their problem. So you have to understand their problem and you have to be able to actually communicate to them clearly how you can solve it. And sales is all about closing the deal. It's about actually now getting in front of them and actually now making that compelling argument right in front of them and reaching out to their heart and saying, hey, let's seal this deal. Let's move on to us actually solving your problems. And without those two, you don't have a business. Yeah, I'm going to marketing, you just said, you know, a minute ago, you know, how's your marketing budget, you know, and and how do you, in terms of marketing your your business, you know, how do you go about that? Do you, have you, have you got a a huge marketing budget? Um, it might, I'll say, you know, it depends on the size of the business. Um, when we first started, my marketing budget was zero and, um, but we basically did a lot of marketing internally. So what we did was at the time we built a tool internally to go script the internet. This was back in 2008. So we're scripting the internet for a bunch of um, phone numbers and um, you know, we're going to the yellow pages and Google. And so I built a program that literally every night we'll go to Google, script a bunch of phone numbers and email addresses of people that basically fit our target market. And my business partner at the time, and we had, you know, we'll basically get on the phone and start calling them. That was our market. And when I, and I was the closer, I was basically the sales guy and also the, um, the operations delivery guy. So once ever, whenever we close, then I go ahead and actually implement the solution. But over time, we started figuring out that it, that was more of a shotgun approach. We need to actually have a more targeted marketing approach and we need to have a strategy behind a marketing process. And that basically is going to involve us actually involve us actually investing in marketing and taking it serious. If you take something serious, you invest in it. If you are how you know, if you take shelter serious, you will invest in buying a house or renting a place. So whatever you don't take serious, you're not going to invest it. So um, we basically then started investing in marketing. Um, so we've over over time we've invested. We we have different marketing strategies that we've actually we actually deploy, and that det- and our strategy kind of kind of maybe determines the actual budget that we end up basically allocating for marketing. So in some cases it could be a huge marketing budget, and in some cases it could be basically not a whole lot. It all depends on what we're doing. Cool, Demar. So. You know, haven't haven't said that. You know, and I I can sense you're a very busy guy. You know, plus plus work and family. How do you manage all that time? 
Um, you just have to, you know, it's tough. I mean, but you have to do what you have to do. Yeah. Um, I try, one of the things that I do is, um, you know, I, yes, I put in a lot of hours, but I try as much as possible to maybe spend some time with the family or maybe on the weekend we go out or we take, maybe there, if I need to travel, we just basically make it a family vacation as well. So it's kind of like a workation. It's kind of like how, you know, the last, you know, my, like exa- an example is I just got back from Nigeria last week. Okay. Um, it was a business trip, but I figured, you know, it might, it will actually be more effective if we all go as a family. So I took the family with me and we basically kind of, um, anytime, you know, so they were enjoying Nigeria. I was, I was busy working and whenever I get free time, we all basically get together and actually, you know, explore Africa. Uh, because my my kids that, my kids has never actually been to Nigeria. That was their first time been wow. been there. So it's a different. Yeah, it was a cool experience for both of them. I mean, my daughter is seventeen and my son is now ten, and um, they were able to appreciate you know being in a different country a lot more. Okay, okay. So uh, that's 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 good. That's good. Demola. My 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 kid is they they've been to Nigeria. You know, but they but they are young now. Yeah, they are young. So yeah. You know, they're, they're that, young. So it's, it's, that good. Was, it's good that they went, they've been there a couple of times, you know, and when, when they go again, it, it, it won't be a shock to them. Like, oh, my God, you know, there's no, there's, no, there's no light. There's no, the roads are bad. You know, the, everything is kind of like messed up over there. But, you know, they're probably used to it now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, I, I, I'm glad, you know, you know, it's good that your kids actually are exposed to, the, to Nigeria at a younger age. But at the same time, for me, I feel, you know, my kids were able to appreciate it more. I actually appreciate America a lot more because of their Nigerian experience. Yeah, Dimola, that's good. Uh, so at, at this point, Dimola, on, on this show, I always, I always ask people this question, you know, what would be, the, what would be your advice, you know, a word or, a word or two to someone out there that may be struggling or that may, might just want answers, you know, to... Maybe change of career or you know going to a certain career might might just be lost in terms of finding him or herself. What would you what would you say to that individual? Um, I would say you know if you're lost or you're afraid, it's based off the fear. Both actually has the have their root in fear. One thing that the military taught me about fear is fear is lack of education. Is that's really what fear is? is you panic because you don't know what to do or you don't understand something and it basically spooks your entire system. Your nervous system just goes out of whack because there is no structural understanding of the situation that you're dealing with. If you understand the situation and you have a plan for it, the fear and the confusion and the sense of loss goes away because you are not lost anymore. You get it. You know exactly what you need to do and how to engage it. And you understand your risks. That's why if you ever want to basically do something that you're passionate about or you want, you know, like, for example, hey, man, I want to, you know, I want to be a business owner, but I have to basically have a job right now because I don't know if my business is going to be successful. You know, I'm not going to pay my bills and all this other stuff. The first thing you need to do is understand, hey, you know, I need to come up with a plan. I need to basically stop laying it out. This is the kind of business I want to do. And how do I become successful in that business? And start doing the research. And based on your research, you'll be able to formulate your plan. Understanding that every single action in life has consequences, period. That's the basis for everything we do. Our actions have consequences. We reap what we sow. If you take your time to sow into your dreams, 
you you know you're gonna reap the right results. And for me, uh, Demola, to add to that, you know, I, I always believe that um, there's a season where you plant, you know, the season where you cultivate, and the next season where you harvest, you know. So those look looking at those three things, you know, they, they, might, they might seem simple, but I, I I believe if you walk those three together, you know, with the perfect timing, you you probably you probably achieve your goals. You're right. I mean, because, but that's all. It's all we say the same thing actually, because it's just that in my case. Before I even get to those seasons, I'm planning it out. Like, you know, okay, if I'm going to, if I want to start a business right now, I know realistically I have to have a nine to five to pay my bills. Yes. But while I'm actually doing my nine to five, I want to start researching the industry. I want to basically start the business in. I want to understand the risks. I want to understand the failure rates. And that does just because, of, let's say the failure rate is 90%, that everybody that basically start their business selling widgets, that with specific widget, fail in six months. It doesn't mean that I should quit and walk away. No, what that means is now I need to research why are they failing. If I understand why they're failing, then the question is, can I mitigate against those um, those those the reasons why they fail? Yeah, probably look for better better ways to execute. Exactly. You're right. And that's, you know, can I, you know, how can I actually execute better? And if you can answer those questions and actually then have a plan, then I have a test case. The next step is, okay, now that I have a plan, I've, you know, that is properly fleshed out and I'm willing to basically take the risk. Okay. Maybe I should have a test case. You know, I should basically kind of start on a smaller scale, you know, maybe start ordering two or three of those widgets and see how it works and execute, implement this plan you know, then I can just start growing from there. Eventually, you grow, you know, you basically grow yourself out of your nine to five and you fo- you face it on a full-time basis. And if maybe, let's, let's say, your your test case actually fails, okay, that doesn't mean you quit. It means that maybe your plan stinks and you need to come up with a better plan. <laughs> then get back on the drawing board. Yeah, absolutely, Demola. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Demola, what's, what's, next, what's next for Demola? You know, now you... you, you I can say you, you're sitting pretty, but a lot of hard work as well has gone into whatever you're doing right now. You know, so what's next for Demola? Two, three years plan? Um, Yeah, I mean, the next two, three years for me is really, at this point, I want to basically kind of grow as a person. Um, so now it's, I feel like I've done a lot of work growing the business. Um, I want to basically take some time off and start growing personally. Um, I'm thinking about enrolling back in school. Um, eventually I want to become a, you know, my goal is maybe by 50, get a PhD, you know, because now, you know, it's going to, it's going to take a semester here and there before I get there. So, (laughs) um, that's my goal on a personal level. Um, but the next two, three years for me for, you know, is to also engage more in certain tech, you know, like from, from a business perspective, I, we want to actually start, you know, exploring the, you know, AI space for, you know, and one of the things that we actually are, and get, you know, exploring right now that we want to roll out in the next two to three years is how can we basically commoditize, you know, artificial intelligence to where small businesses can actually um, take advantage of machine learning and uh, predictive analysis and all those different big, you know, fancy words that are, um, really um, driving the digital transformation space right now in the enterprise, you know, 
to where we can bring it down to the small business and they can actually have the same, um, they can get the same benefit and the same value out of it. So that's one, well, that's one of the things that um, we're actually working on from, uh, from a business perspective. And um, we actually, um, and that's one of the, and what's exciting is we actually kind of uh, partnering with Microsoft right now to do some of these things. Um, and also I'm diversifying also to basically maybe move into consumer technology so um, I actually have a startup right now that um, is working on trying to deliver um, movie content, um, Nigerian movie content, in, you know, in, to foreign um, audiences. So an example, um, right now, my wife, this was a brainchild of my wife, actually, because she loves Nigerian movies. She was trying to watch Chief Daddy and um, she couldn't find it online. And the only way she can find it was she can watch it is go to the go basically go to Nigeria and go watch it at a theater in Nigeria. So I'm like, okay, this is not going to work. Um, you know, and let's why don't we basically try to figure out a way where we can actually allow people like my wife that want to actually consume Nigerian digital content or movies in real time that is out in theaters, in you know virtually. And without having to basically go through the huddles of actually getting the bootleg version and all this other stuff. Don't, don't they have that, that service right now? And I know there's, there's um, iRock TV, Iroko TV, there's something like that. They don't have live, um, they don't have live movies. They, actually, the ones that they have usually, I think, for Iroko TV, um, I think is about the, the earliest you can actually watch anything from them, which is called, which is what you call latest movies, like usually three months after it's left the theater. What what about what what about Netflix? Is Netflix not doing that right now? That, with, same with, thing. With Nigerian same, movies. Yeah, same thing with Netflix. Yeah, Nigerian movies is usually like about. I think Netflix is actually six months after it's left the theater. You're waiting to do it on on real time, you know, streaming. Yeah, like real time. time. Okay, real time. Okay, correct. We've come to the point now where you know we just uh, the last last word for. The, the listeners, you know, something for them to take away, you know, and, you know, and for them to know that, you know, Demola was on the show, asked the pros, you know, and this is one thing that Demola said, and it's going to, it's going to stick with me for a long time. What would that last thing be? Actions have consequences. Think about every single action you take, because there are consequences to it. That's, you know, and I believe if anyone basically follow that line of thinking, they will always basically, will be a, you always be a better person because you basically will always, you, you always will think about everything you do before you do it. So if there's any risk, you'll be able to actually kind of identify the risk and figure out a way to mitigate those risks. Thanks a lot, Demola. Well said. So, um, Demola, if, if someone wants to get in touch with you, you know, and um, probably wants to ask you a few questions after listening to you, to, to your journey, your story, you know, where would be the best place to get you on the best social media platform? Because these days, every everybody is on is either you're on you're on Twitter, your Instagram, Facebook's a little bit addicted, but it still it still plays. You know, LinkedIn. What would be the best pl- platform to get you on? I'm on LinkedIn as um, Kamara.oyenuga is my handle, LinkedIn handle. Okay. And also, but from a, for business purposes, um, LinkedIn is the best way to reach out to me. Um, I'm always acting a fool on, on Facebook, so I don't really pay attention or on Facebook for, you know, for anything business wise. Um, but I'm all, you know, face, you know, Facebook, I'm Kamara.Oyenuga as well on Facebook. So you can always reach out to me there, there as well. Um, email Oyenuga.mail.com is the best way to reach out to me. 
And on LinkedIn, on um, Twitter, it's K.O. Yenuga. Okay, well, that's that's cool. Um, so for those of you also listening, you want to get in, in touch touch with me, you know, I'm, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, you know, I'm on LinkedIn as well, you know, but the best best way is ask the pros Instagram and I'll definitely hit you back. Um, Demola, it's been nice, you know, having this conversation with you, you know, and I can say you, I can say you've really done well for yourself, you know, going back to what you first said about Nagoni Kukari last, well, you, you carried it. <laughs> yeah, actually, it did. I did carry a gun. I can say, I can say, you did carry the gun, but it was for a good purpose. You know, saving saving America, your country. You know, protecting lives. You know, I'm trying to keep. I'm trying to be a good citizen as well. You know, and don't wait for yourself. You know, from Microsoft now you have your own business. You know, and I'm a, and I'm gonna say, you know, I'm really inspired. You know, I'm motivated by your journey as 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 Demola. You know, so Dimola, thanks for being on the show. You know, and I thank you for your time, and I'm grateful for your time as well. You know, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the time as well. It was fun. That's good. That's good, Dimola. <laughs> cool, man, bro. 